Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Hey everybody, it's uh, the Next Real Shorts. We've got a special episode. Uh, I've got Andy Nelson here with me. Hello everybody. And we've got a little special discussion. We're going to be talking about the music of John Carpenter. Oh yes. So on uh, was it Father's Day this month, Andy and I decided to abandon our families and go <laughs> see a performance from John Carpenter. Uh, he was performing... 
uh, some of the pieces from his scores for his films, but also he's had two albums that have come out over the past couple of years called Lost Themes, uh, which are original compositions by John Carpenter. So it was a, a nice evening of music uh, accompanied by film clips from the, the movies to accompany the scores. And it was just a, a really interesting filmic experience. It definitely was. And John Carpenter was, you know, he and his son and his son's band were were playing all the music there for us. And it was uh, it was really fun to see. And this is a tour that is actually still going on. It's been kind of cruising across the U.S. and it still is through the end or through mid-July. It's actually going to be tying it up here in the U.S. pretty soon, and then heading off to Europe for August uh, through October, or actually into November. So it's uh, it's definitely got a a wide swath of dates um, across Europe. And I think uh, anybody who enjoys listening to John Carpenter's themes should definitely look at getting tickets. Unless you want to go on Halloween in London, that show is sold out because I can imagine that there's nothing better to do than enjoy the music of John Carpenter on Halloween to have him there present in all his uh, black clad glory uh, up on stage, <laughs> grooving bes- behind his synthesizer. It was uh, it was a really, uh, I guess, energetic experience. The crowd really got into it when we would, you know, when some of the more recognizable and favorite themes were performed, but it was just clear that he's a man that, that loves his music and loves performing for the crowd. Uh, yes, he was. Absolutely. And it's funny, it was funny watching him and realizing, um, I mean, obviously he had a whole band playing it, but how how simple to a certain extent his themes are. And maybe that's why people like them so much, because the the, the main themes that he would play are relatively simple, um, but it was just fun to kind of watch him because, I mean, I, I don't know how old he is now. Is he uh, up in his uh, 70s now? I mean, he's, he's definitely oh, yeah. up there. Um, I think he's 68 right now. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, you know, he'd have a couple of, a couple keys that he would have to deal with as far as his part of the music. <laughs> and that's kind of it for each of the different songs. So it was uh, the, the rest of the, the team kind of uh, took the brunt of it, but it was kind of fun to watch him doing that, jam, jamming out with his keys. Yeah, because he was just sitting there, standing behind his keyboard, just sort of grooving and bopping along and just, yeah, you could tell he was in it. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. After, you know, enjoying the music that evening, we thought it might be a fun time to sit down and sort of talk about uh, John Carpenter and his, his scores. It's, he's got some, I think, some of the most memorable uh, film scores, you know, particularly Halloween. People know that theme. It's become iconic. Uh, you know, people, are, he's recognized for that. And it's, you know, he is, as a filmmaker, has also taken on that responsibility of, you know, contributing to the scores of his films as well as sort of the whole package of here's the story he's directing it but he's also creating that score that creates that atmosphere and mood of the film it's worth noting that uh, john carpenter is not john williams when it comes to when it comes (laughs) to his film scores Um, in fact if you go back and listen to the episodes we've talked about for his films, um, namely Christine, Escape from New York, and The Thing, um, I definitely you know talk about how I am a little not that excited by his music, and I, I think what going to his concert and listening to his themes really kind of um, put perspective for me is that sometimes it's you know he he comes up with really memorable themes, and I really enjoy listening to his themes. 
um, his main themes for the stuff. I think as a composer, it's it's kind of the middle stuff. It's it's the the music that kind of helps tie everything else together that may not be as strong as the themes themselves. Oh, I, yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I, I recall when we were uh, on the film board and we were discussing your next. Uh, there was a sequence in there where the the the, the music got that really 80s synth you know sort of like john carpenter you know and it's it's something that's just so it stands out it, it and rather than you know contributing to like an emotional thing for me that was drawing attention to itself like as a reference to john carpenter because i think he does have a distinctive sound which is a very you know synth driven that may not always be the best choice for other times in the film Definitely, you know that theme at the beginning to set the tone. But yeah, as you as you work your way through the film, um, his choice of instrumentation may not always be the most ideal. No, but it is. It has become almost uh, you know a brand in and of itself. I mean, you can say you know it's a John Carpenter sounding score, and people pretty much know what it is. I mean, they even reference it in uh, Paranorman, which was great to hear. And I think that there is something really, uh, really interesting about the fact that he has uh, kind of created that um, just a, a very iconic type of horror score. Even if it's not the best, it's still something that really is very well defined. <laughs> well, one of his early films, which was The Fog, and the theme from that, that to me is one that stood out. <laughs> Musicologist. I'm not a student of music, but what I heard with my amateur ears was I could hear a lot of things, and maybe it was the selection of the organ that was part of that. But it reminded me of a lot of the like classic horror monster movies from like the you know 50s, where there's like you know the Phantom of the Opera, you know, drawing on that you know Bach and the organ music. There was that element to the theme in the fog, which to me I don't know if it was just him showing maybe his influences or where he's pulling from he's definitely grown past that but it was something that uh was refreshing for me because it does sound a little bit different i could sort of track sort of the origins of his influences when going back to a movie like the fog and, and hearing that in his construction of the theme yeah I, I think that what's nice about kind of what he does with some of his scores is that he does try to um tie it into kind of something specific like that one did feel like it felt a little more gothic it had kind of that more gothic horror sort of sense with the the big organs because it was kind of this you know more of this big ghost story that he was telling i really liked that and and if you look at something like vampires it definitely has a hint of a little more of a a western feel to it and and I, I mean, it's not always there in the stuff that he's doing, but I do like that he kind of, uh, you know, he will kind of try to work that stuff into them sometimes. And then uh, I guess, you know, if, if we look at the themes that really stand out, I think the ones that he that he chose to perform live, I think are probably perhaps some of the most recognizable or the most memorable ones, um, you know, and to see them with that footage 
to me really it just created that uh, it made me want to go back and revisit those films again because for it's it's the combination of the clips but then hearing that music there live just reminded me of of how much I love some of those movies or how how strong a reaction I had to them, you know, to see, you know, like assault on precinct 13 to hear that, that, that theme, you know, as we sort of see, you know, the film sort of summarized through the clips there just really captured, like condensed that film down into like a three minute, you know, essence. It's like, here you are. And it, 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 you know, I think the, the theme with that one really worked well with that, with the clips they had. That was early in his career. I mean, yeah. that was right after Dark Star, which you know, in my mind, is a terrible, you know, terrible <laughs> film. It's a, nothing, a student film, right? Nothing more yeah. than a student film that yeah. really should not have ever yeah. been released to the public, but yeah. somehow it was. Uh, yeah. But anyway, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. I mean, following up from Dark Star, and he does yeah. that. I mean, it's a, it's a very taut film, uh, very energetic, and yeah, the score. I think in that film, the theme is just really strong and works really well. Moving along in his career, though, then he, I think he almost hits the pinnacle of his career with Halloween, which is just two years after Assault on Precinct 13, and then he hits Halloween, which I think, you know, a lot of that, that's probably his most well known theme, what is most well known films that I think he'll be, you know, most remembered for. Hearing that theme again, I mean, it's, I think it's referenced so often. I think there's generations that have grown up without actually having seen Halloween that, that know that theme and know that it's, it's associated with scary things. Yeah. I mean, so much so that he didn't come back to direct any of the sequels, but he did come back to compose the music (laughs) for, (laughs) for at least Halloween 2 and 3 and was it uh, was it H2O it was uh one of the other ones the later ones um that he came back to do again and um i think it's a uh, it's a testament to the fact that um it was such an iconic um bit of music and i mean that's one that it's just i mean it's so creepy it works so well it's so simple though i mean it's uh, it's it's such a simple piece of of uh, music but it's uh, it's an interesting one because it's i you know, i'm like you, I'm not a musicologist. I don't know all the terms, but it's like, was it like five beats per uh, thing? I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm terrible with my music <laughs> right. things, but it's like you know, it's got five as a five, it's like yeah. five four timer. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but you know, and then to see again, because it, it's been a long time since I've seen Halloween, and then to see those clips, and then to realize again, the, you know, the, the the theme being so simple, and then looking at. You know, a film that, you know, th- things have become so over the top in the amount of, like, blood and gore and everything. And that, you know, that this film is really just a lot of suspense. 
And I think the score contributes to that of just putting you consistently at, you know, you're, you're uneasy, you're on the edge, you're just really tense. And to me, that's, I don't know that I say that, I mean, yes, it's a, it's a terrifying movie, but I think it's that suspense that, that contributes to that of, it's not, it's not a gory film. There's not, you know, blood and body parts everywhere. It's really just that suspense of that relentless faceless force chasing, you know, the girl through the house. And that's just so powerful. It It is. And I mean, he, you know, he really knows how to construct a film and knows how to kind of handle his horror in a way that works well. I think what's so interesting is, is, is just how he, um, how he finds the right way to do that. And is very is seemingly pretty restrained with it, but then also as far as the music goes, you know, and Halloween might be a kind of a, a different one where I think I really enjoy the music all through Halloween, all the different themes and everything, and the way I mean, it's it's nothing too complex, but it's still all the little bits and pieces really work in that film. Listening to the you know after hearing these themes and getting excited about it, something you know to go back and listen to the the scores. As a whole, I found myself like I, I think I'm just going to go back to the theme again because there's some of them where just it didn't really move me through the story, sort of you know musically. Other themes or it, it was I mean I think the his pieces work well in the context of the film, but to listen to it in isolation from the film just it, it doesn't work as well for me. And I you know it's something where I'll I can. The, the themes will capture for me, I guess, the memory and essence of the film. Other pieces in the scores, not necessarily so much that it's not like a, there's other themes that, that pertain to other characters or moments in the film. It's more of just supporting sound to to create tension or, or emotion within that moment in the context of visually what's going on, but not to, something to be listened to like separate. Like, you know, John Williams, you can listen to that whole score and you... you, you travel through that whole film with carpenter not so much no i agree and i mean look at you know the escape from new york or christine i mean both of those i think are good cases that we've talked about on the show before where i think the theme itself is is pretty listenable but the rest of the music it really just is kind of getting you from here to there and christine i mean i think smartly he actually chose to really focus a lot of the music on that uh in that film to actually the 50s classics that would come through Christine. Um, and so his his uh, score wasn't quite as prevalent because there was there were so many other songs in there um, that kind of helped, you know, really, it was just almost storytelling through the music in that film. Um, but I, I liked those two um, and the way he kind of um, has good themes. But yeah, his his um, the music itself in both of them doesn't really carry me. Now, on the flip side, though, Big Trouble in Little China, which he actually, and we should mention, a lot of these scores he actually did kind of co-compose with um, a lot of them with Alan, is it Howarth? Howarth? Yes. Um, And uh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China is one of those. And I will say that's a score that I really just dig. There's something just kind of... uh, just kind of, I don't know, kick back and kick ass about the score.
Yeah, it's the tone of the film. It's Jack yeah, Burton. I mean, it kind of embodies yes, Jack Burton, right? <laughs> exactly. It's, we're not going for, you know, a horror film. We're going for this buddy action comedy supernatural film. And I think that, yeah, the score, it's it's it captures that better. And maybe it's because it's a different tone that we're going for that's, that sets that one apart. But, yeah, I don't Or maybe it's just, you know, it's just such a great movie. It's that that's been embedded. You enjoyed that film watching it. That that just got embedded throughout that experience. You know, is I don't. Know, how old were you when you first saw Big Trouble in Little China? I saw it when it came out in theaters. So I guess, oh wow, uh, I okay. guess thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, that's one of those films where I think if you were a teenager, like twelve, thirteen, you know, first seeing that, yeah, that's that's one of those movies that just sticks with you. It oh just, yes, you know, like the Goonies, and it's you know, it just. One of those coming of age fun movies. So, and uh, and then he goes from that to Prince of Darkness, which is, I mean, talk about a complete tonal shift. I mean, that is like pure horror. I mean, that score. I I don't know if I could remember the theme itself for that one. I know he played it at the show. Um, I just I just remember everything about that movie. I find just super super creepy, and that's one where I think that his music. You know, I, maybe the themes in that particular film don't matter so much just because the fact that all of the music is designed to just really creep you out. And it works. Well, I think it's got such powerful visuals in that yeah. film that, to me, that's they're just specific images that I will never forget from that movie, from seeing that when I was, I don't know, in middle school or early high school or whatever that came out of seeing that I think on cable late at night one time and wishing I hadn't stayed up so late to watch that because yeah it just creeped me out and the strong visuals just to me overwhelmed that experience that yeah I don't I don't recall the theme to that no. one as, as much no but yeah you're right it's that one's the visuals in that one Alice Cooper and all those, yes. those homeless people <laughs> like standing outside just staring Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. Still scares me. <laughs> so, yeah, that that was sort of for me like the I guess that and then uh they live is sort of for me like the I don't know, the peak of his career where and things started to sort of transition cuz I stopped watching his films as much and I don't for a while I thought maybe it's just I'd outgrown horror movies because as a, as a young you know as a teenager it's like fun to, to watch horror movies it's fun to be scared and my interest had moved into to other things um, so I wasn't watching as much John Carpenter you know I, I definitely enjoyed They Live but then he, he did the uh, In the Mouth of Madness which was one of the most bizarre theater going movie experiences I've, I've ever had in my life because it's one of these <laughs> it's something that I think uh Tommy and JJ would have included in their Mindbender series because it's one of those movies where when you get to the end of it, it's like, what just happened? What did I just <laughs> watch? It was very strange. But and that's it, what I still haven't seen, so I, it's on my list of shame. And again, another one where I think the visuals you know, really carry that film, and again, scores, not so much. Because it's not even where one where I can go, oh yeah, it was the typical John Carpenter, this or that. I Yeah, I just, yeah, it's one that I know he played a piece from that, but it's nothing that I remembered sticking with me as much. So Yeah, right, right. Oh, somehow we skipped over the thing. Well, I, I think there's there's a few in his yeah. uh, chronology, like The Thing, yeah. Starman, and Memoirs of an Invisible yeah. Man, and then even his oh, last film, yeah. The Ward, yeah. 
all of which um, he had somebody else actually do all of the heavy lifting and compose. Uh, it was um, uh, Ennio Morricone, of course, for The Thing, uh, who I think did an incredible uh, score that sounded like uh, one of the better John uh, John Carpenter scores <laughs> that John didn't actually compose. <laughs> <laughs> But it's great, and Starman I think yeah. has just a really romantic theme that I really enjoy. I don't, I can't remember Jack about Memoirs of an Invisible Man um, as far as the score goes. I don't know, I didn't listen to that one. The Ward, though, I really do enjoy that one. So I mean, he's had he's had some good people coming in to do some work with him. Um, but yeah, the thing, I think that's just really strong music. That again, it's you know, it sounds like his. It's just you know, I think he worked well with Ennio Morricone to come up with something that. Uh, that was a little bit, um, a little bit stronger. So he's so he's transitioned from. It's almost like he's retired from filmmaking because his last film was, well, I think it was the, the Ward, Ward, which was what like six or seven years ago. That was twenty ten. Yeah, yeah. But he's moved on to doing these lost theme albums, and right, I right. found there's there's quite a few pieces in there that to me are really powerful and really moving themes, sort of. On their own, and I, I, I wish there were almost like a short that he would make to go with these because there's some. I'm really enjoying some of the the lost themes, and to, to hear some of them live was great. To know that that there's those pieces that can stand alone, uh, separate from a film that uh, he can compose. That that sort of there's a story or mood that are coming across strongly in those that I enjoyed as well. Yeah, he he creates uh, just they have really good sense about them, and I really enjoyed listening to them. I think it was I can't remember if it was Entertainment Weekly or, or somebody when they reviewed his first album when it came out, but they said you know these are the best themes that uh, John Carpenter uh, wrote for his films in the '80s that uh, were never made for uh, films in the '80s. <laughs> but they just <laughs> they feel that way. They totally feel like they are pulled from something and they're just, they're, I don't know. I think that it's a really great pair of albums to just sit back and listen to. They all, they all are just really great themes. And I think it speaks highly to the fact that he is a composer that can come up with individual iconic pieces that work well, really kind of by themselves, but they all, they, in, in the end, weirdly, they all work well together, even if they don't, uh, they're not of the same part. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's something that I think, Definitely worth checking out uh, if you enjoy, you know, John Carpenter's themes. The Lost Theme albums are definitely worth giving a listen to. Uh, I think if, you know, if, if you have the opportunity to see him live, it was something that I really enjoyed. I haven't been to any of these. I know a lot of times there's different um, uh, concerts where there'll be, you know, film scores with, you know, footage projected. So this is my first time at an experience like this. And it was something that I really enjoyed just not only as a, a fan of the film, but just, you know, live music uh, to see that performed and then accompanied by the, the film footage. I know that they've done uh, like there's Harry Potter ones. Uh, there've been ones, I think, oh gosh, maybe when I was in college, there was one that was like the Bugs Bunny films. So it's definitely sort of a unique experience to, to see, you know, films in a different context, to hear that music live is definitely, I think, some an enjoyable experience that people should should check out. Yeah, I've taken the kids to a number of them for like there was a Pixar one that I took the kids to, a Star Wars one, there was a um some other composers. I mean, we've done a variety, but they're always just so much fun to listen to. I know Phoenix Symphony does 
does those shows. I'm sure other symphonies around the country and around the world really uh, do all of that. But um, it's a lot of fun kind of focusing on, on a composer like this. And I mean, it was even better having John Carpenter there um, doing it and just kind of, you know, he didn't say a lot about anything in between, but he had a few little bits and pieces. Um, and that was always fun. What, what was it that he said right before he did Halloween? He's like, uh, you know, I make horror movies. I love horror or something like that. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, uh, and then it kicked off with Halloween. Which yeah. Is, uh, oh, the, yeah. The crowd went wild for that. And then the other, where he mentioned it was his, was it his, his fifth collaboration with this person? And, uh, they had a great time making this movie and they, they went off and they got into some big trouble, which yeah, right. led right. into big trouble for little China. And the crowd just went, went crazy for that. Yeah. He didn't have to say much. Nope. Uh, about his about his pieces, uh, no story. I think he well, he did play the theme from the thing, and you know, explain that that was not one that he had composed himself, but you know, sort of fit that one in. But uh, yeah, it was uh, a, a really good experience. I had a, had a great time, and uh, had a great time talking with you, sort of revisiting the John Carpenter scores. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a lot of good stuff, a lot of good themes. Um, like we've said, you know, the albums themselves are a little uh, they they might not always be the most listenable, but I mean his themes are great. It's really fun to listen to them. It's fun to uh, just kind of get into that kind of they they there's a real kind of eighties synth vibe that they all have that uh, I think is just kind of fun when you really get into it and just kind of click with the uh, click with that music. All right, well. I guess it's time to wrap it up. Yeah, I guess so. But it was fun chatting more about it yeah. and uh, revisiting even his uh, revisiting his music <laughs> once again. Once again. <laughs> well, I I don't know how to sign off on a unique short like this, Andy. So I guess <laughs> right. it's just time to say goodnight. All right. Well, uh, enjoy uh, enjoy listening to Carpenter. I don't, I don't have anything. <laughs> I'm not even sure what to say at the end of this either. You have no witty retort. You don't. I don't. You're not going to go assault Precinct 13? You're not going to go escape uh, from uh, New York? I'm going to go escape from L.A. <laughs> I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Mm-hmm.